0: The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft 4 For a decade, the annals of the Waitleys sink indistinguishably into the general life of a morbid community used to their queer ways and hardened to their May Eve and All Hallows orgies. Twice a year, they would light fires on the top of Sentinel Hill, at which times the mountain rumblings would recur with greater and greater violence, while at all seasons there were strange and portentous doings at the lonely farmhouse. In the course of time, callers professed to hear sounds in the sealed upper story, even when all the family were downstairs, and they wondered how swiftly or how lingeringly a cow or bullock was usually sacrificed. There was talk of a complaint to the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, but nothing ever came of it, since Dunwich folk are never anxious to call the outside world's attention to themselves. About 1923, when Wilbur was a boy of ten, whose mind, voice, stature and bearded face gave all the impressions of maturity, a second great siege of carpentry went on at the old house. It was all inside the sealed upper part, and from bits of discarded lumber people concluded that the youth and his grandfather had knocked out all the partitions and even removed the attic floor, leaving only one vast open void between the ground story and the peaked roof. They had torn down the great central chimney, too, and fitted the rusty range with a flimsy outside tin stovepipe. In the spring after this event, Old Waitley noticed the growing number of whippoorwills that would come out of Cold Spring Glen to chirp under his window at night. He seemed to regard the circumstance as one of great significance, and told the loungers at Osborne's that he thought his time had almost come. "'They whistle just in tune with my breathin now,' he said. "'And I guess they're getting ready to catch my soul. "'They know it's a-going out.' and don't calculate to miss it. You'll know, boys, after I'm gone, whether they get me or not. If they do, they'll keep up a-singing and laughing till break of day. If they don't, they're kind of quiet down-like. I expect them and the souls they hunts for have some pretty tough tussles sometimes. On Lama's Night, 1924, Dr. Houghton of Ailbury was hastily summoned by Wilbur Waitley who had lashed his one remaining horse through the darkness and telephoned from Osborne's in the village. He found Old Waitley in a very grave state, with a cardiac action and stertorous breathing that told of an end not far off. The shapeless albino daughter and oddly bearded grandson stood by the bedside, whilst from the vacant abyss overhead there came a disquieting suggestion of rhythmical surging or lapping, as of the waves on some level beach. The doctor, though, was chiefly disturbed by the chattering nightbirds outside, a seemingly limitless legion of whippoorwills that cried their endless message in repetitions timed diabolically to the wheezing gasps of the dying man. It was uncanny and unnatural. Too much, thought Dr. Houghton, like the whole of the region he had entered so reluctantly in response to the urgent call. Toward one o'clock, Old Waitley gained consciousness and interrupted his wheezing to choke out a few words to his grandson. More space, Willie. More space soon. You grows, and that grows faster. It'll be ready to solve you soon, boy. Open up the gates to yogg with the long chant that you'll find on page 751 of the Complete Edition, and then put a match to the prison. "'Far from earth can't burn it nohow. how!' He was obviously quite mad. After a pause, during which the flock of whippoorwills outside adjusted their cries to the altered tempo while some indications of the strange hill noises came from afar off, he added another sentence or two. "'Feed it regular, Willie, and mind the quantity. But don't let it grow too fast for the place. bust quarters." or gets out a you opens to yog sothoth It's all over, and no use. Only them from beyond can make it multiply and work. Only them, the old uns as wants to come back. But speech gave place to gasps again, and Lavinia screamed at the way the whippoorwills followed the change. It was the same for more than an hour, when the final throaty rattle came. Dr. Houghton drew shrunken lids over the glazing gray eyes as the tumult of birds faded imperceptibly to silence. Lavinia sobbed, but Wilbur only chuckled, whilst the hill noises rumbled faintly. They didn't get him, he muttered in his heavy bass voice. Wilbur was by this time a scholar of really tremendous erudition in his one-sided way and was quietly known by correspondence to many librarians in distant places where rare and forbidden books of old days are kept he was more and more hated and dreaded around dunwich because of certain youthful disappearances which suspicion laid vaguely at his door but was always able to silence inquiry through fear or through use of that fund of old time gold which still as in his grandfather's time went forth regularly and increasingly for cattle buying he was now tremendously mature of aspect and his height, having reached the normal adult limit, seemed inclined to wax beyond that figure. In 1925, when a scholarly correspondent from Miskatonic University called upon him one day and departed pale and puzzled, he was fully six and three-quarters feet tall. Through all the years, Wilbur had treated his half-deformed albino mother with a growing contempt, finally forbidding her to go to the hills with him on May Eve and Halamas and in 1926, the poor creature complained to Mamie Bishop of being afraid of him. "'There's more about him as I knows than I can tell you, Mamie,' she said. "'And nowadays, there's more now what I know myself. I vow for God. I don't know what he wants, nor what he's trying to do.'" That Halloween, the hill noises sounded louder than ever, and fire burned on Sentinel Hill as usual but people paid more attention to the rhythmical screaming of vast flocks of unnaturally belated whippoorwills, which seemed to be assembled near the unlighted Waitley farmhouse. After midnight, their shrill notes burst into a kind of pandemonic cashination, which filled all the countryside, and not until dawn did they finally quiet down. Then they vanished, hurrying southward, where they were fully a month overdue. What this meant, no one could quite be certain till later. None of the country folk seemed to have died. But poor Lavinia Whateley, the twisted albino, was never seen again. In the summer of 1927, Wilbur repaired two sheds in the farmyard and began moving his books and effects out to them. Soon afterward, Earl Sawyer told the loungers at Osborne's that more carpentry was going on in the Whateley farmhouse. Wilbur was closing all the doors and windows on the ground floor and seemed to be taking out partitions, as he and his grandfather had done upstairs four years before. He was living in one of the sheds, and Sawyer thought he seemed unusually worried and tremulous. People generally suspected him of knowing something about his mother's disappearance, and very few ever approached his neighborhood now. His height had increased to more than seven feet and showed no signs of ceasing its development. You've been listening to The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Read by Dr. Bradley Will. Produced by Stephen Schleicher. This audiobook was produced in 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment.